How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm so excited to be talking to the CEO and co-founder of Fireflies AI, Krish. How is it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Matt. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm so excited to have you on. I remember I was in a meeting and it was being Fireflies was being used. And I'm like, this is this is pretty cool. So I had to get to know you uh, on the podcast. So to start, let's talk about a little bit of your background, and then we can dive into what Fireflies AI is. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's great to hear that you found out about us through another meeting. It's uh, it's always nice when I go meet people and they say, oh, you know you're Fireflies, you're that company that joined my meeting and, you know, it recorded everything and sent me a recap afterwards. Um, so it's like, it's great. Like when you hear from people uh, and customers you don't know uh, that that's how they discovered you. So it's, it's great that we're having that conversation because of that. Um, so I'm Chris Ramanini, co-founder and CEO at Fireflies.ai. So me and my co-founder, Sam Udatong, um, who's the co-founder and CTO, uh, we started Fireflies about two and a half years ago. And uh, our whole mission is to build a better way to have meetings. And to do that, uh, we wanted to build a voice assistant that can capture, transcribe, and make meetings searchable. And ultimately, our goal is to unlock all this knowledge that's buried inside conversations and make meeting collaboration better for everyone on your team. All right. So... This goes into one of the most core things that all humans do, which is communicate, converse with each other. Um, kind of to, to start in regards of diving in, I'd love to hear what is the why behind Fireflies AI and kind of what was the inspiration for wanting to start this kind of company? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I think the why really is meetings aren't going away. That's the way we work. Uh, and it's not just if you are a manager. Um, meetings tend to happen for everyone, whether you're in sales and you need to close a deal, uh, whether you're a recruiter and you need to hire a really important candidate. Uh, meetings is how work gets done. You know, we have you know, new forms of communication. We have globally distributed teams. Um, so not everyone can meet in a meeting room, but the use of video conferencing and web conferencing is rapidly on the rise. Um, and for us, the way we look at it is, you know, when you think about how fast we talk versus how fast we write, uh, information is passed along in a much faster rate when we talk. You know, we're speaking at 160 words per minute. Um, so quite literally, uh, that's a lot faster than when we, if we were to type, which would be 40 words per minute or 50 words per minute uh, if you're a really fast typer. Uh, and so there is this constant effort to try to remember and retain knowledge after meetings. So that was like the biggest struggle. Um, you know, when I was working at a larger company like Microsoft, I was a product manager there. Uh, and there was just so many meetings that were happening where I would literally be in meetings nine to three, uh, nine to four um, throughout the day. And then afterwards trying to uh, remember all that information was extremely difficult. Um, so, and it, I'm not the only one that's like that. There are people that have way more meetings than me. There are people in various different uh, levels. Um, and I was a product manager. There's like directors, there's executives, there's individual contributors who all have meetings, right? So the real inspiration was from our own day-to-day -day, um, in the way that we worked. 
And the things that we learned from that process was, you know, expecting a human to remember everything that was said in in those four walls, and then to make decisions afterwards based on um, that memory of it was really difficult, right? Like it's one of the primary reasons why, you know, organizations move slower because of the lack of communication or the lack of sharing of knowledge after conversations. Um, so that was really the reason for starting Fireflies. Um, and I think the, also the other underlying reason was you know, a lot of the work that Sam and I did in the early days on natural language processing um, on neural networks was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, that was great to read about in a research paper or great to read about, you know, in a PhD program. But today, a lot of that technology is actually applicable, right? And it's, you have AI that's, uh, that can be used in real settings. It's not theoretical anymore. And for us, the timing was great as well, where, you know, we saw this huge problem and then we saw the enabling of this technology and uh, we were able to couple that together and start Fireflies. That's awesome. That's a great story. And that, that leads you to developing this awesome product. Um, speaking of the product, we're using it right now as we speak. Can you kind of describe the user experience of Fireflies and just kind of how it works in detail for those listening who haven't used it before? Yeah, sure thing. So with Fireflies, you know, we've designed it in a way that it can tightly integrate with your existing workflow. You can connect it to your Google or Outlook calendar and have it automatically join your meetings, or you can invite Fred at fireflies.ai. So Fred is our AI assistant and you can invite that to your meetings uh, and it'll join the call like um, your teammate would join a meeting. And the cool thing about Fireflies is that it works across almost every single video and web conferencing platform out there. So if we're using Zoom, you know, Google Meet, Skype, WebEx, you name it, right? Right now we have more than 15 plus leading platforms that we integrate with. And we also do a lot of work with CRMs and apps uh, as well. So how do we get this important information into the places where you already work like Salesforce, Slack, HubSpot, Zapier, and so many other things. <coughs> The core way that Fireflies, um, you know, is able to work is after the conversation happens, it's able to transcribe everything word for word at high levels of accuracy. Then you're able to actually go back into the dashboard or go back into uh, your notebook and listen to the call, review the call, um, see the transcript. You can even search um, for next steps, action items, metrics, deadlines, dates, uh, all this relevant information using our smart search capabilities. So if you have an hour long call, like we're not expecting you to go and listen to that hour long call with fireflies, with transcripts, with the um, meeting search capabilities and smart search capabilities. Uh, you can essentially go through an hour long call in less than five minutes, right? And get all the information you need from it. All right, this is interesting. I want to dive into the smart search kind of section of, of the product. So can you, you, you just mentioned a few, but it's really interesting. Like, can you kind of dive into the capabilities of smart search and what's, what people are using it for now? And also maybe a little more importantly, like what do you expect smart search is going to turn into in the next, you know, five to 10 years as you get more data? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, with smart search, uh, there are a couple key things we all want at the end of meetings, right? So one is what was the action items from that meeting? What were the next steps from that meeting? So we've trained our system to start recognizing action items, next steps. You know, when you make a promise to a person that you're going to do something or when you request someone to get something completed, or if you ask someone to send something, right? So a lot of these action items are, um, you know, buried in conversations. And today it's the job of the manager or whoever is coordinating the meeting to write all that stuff down. Um, with Fireflies and Smart Search, there is a panel on the left-hand side of the transcript uh, uh, dashboard where you can click on action items and you'll be able to automatically filter to all the action items that the system thought were relevant. And you can click on those action items and then you can actually listen to it uh, for context or you can highlight them and then you can push them to Slack or you can push those action items to um, Salesforce or wherever you're working. So for us, being in the workflow is a really important aspect. And then being able to essentially distill um, insights from a lot of noise. That is what Fireflies have set out to do from the early days. And you know, as the technology gets better, as the uh, natural language processing gets better, as we have more data and you know, we start improving, we really wanna help teams find the needles in the haystack. So. One of the things we've introduced recently is this concept of topic trackers. So if you as a user want to track certain types of topics in the meetings, you can create your own topics using our topic builder. So for example, right, if you were Tesla and you're having a meeting and you want to know anytime your competitors were mentioned in that meeting, you can go create a topic called competitors and you can put in like, okay, when is Honda brought up? When is, Ta when is GM brought up? When is Chrysler brought up? Um, and at the end of the meeting, when I go in and I hit the competitor tab in smart search, it'll show me all the places where my competitors were discussed. Um, so that just gives you some idea of how we're building the platform. There are some pre-baked AI components that come with it, like deadlines, dates, uh, action items. And then we also have a builder uh, component that lets you build your own um, uh, topics that you want to track throughout the meeting. And over time, as you can imagine, we want to expand on that and really help developers allow users uh, to create their own workflows to uh, unlock and tap into the meetings that they're having. This is so interesting. I, I'm curious, do, is one of your, if you're able to disclose, I feel like a major, major customer segment of yours is or could be demo days of of accelerators where you have all of these startups like just talking about what they're doing and then investors have to take notes like i'm curious have you what are some of the use cases outside of one-on-one -on -one meetings um and group meetings like what are some other ways that fireflies could be used um and uh, yeah, like, I, I guess I'd love to hear, like, not just now for the note taking, but just overall product direction, product vision. Uh, you built something awesome. Uh, where do you see the whole product in, in a decade? It's funny that you said the whole demo day thing and accelerators and incubators. Um, funny thing is when we went through an accelerator ourselves um, on demo day, um, there were about, uh, I think, 12 or 15 companies that presented uh, what we actually did was we had Fireflies run through the audio line and capture everything um, so that all the investors and folks that 
weren't able to attend or the folks that were there that wanted to uh, review everything could go back and actually look through that. So it's funny that we use that in our own situation um, when we first uh, launched the product. Uh, I think that's an interesting use case, right? Definitely uh, VCs. I think VCs is a more niche market, um, but just in general, folks that are uh, you know working on customer relationships, right? Business development, like sales, customer success. These sort of areas is where Fireflies is extremely popular. We have sales reps, account executives signing up and using the product to capture like important moments from their conversations. Um, and then going back to um, share insights from that with their team, uh, to review those calls with their managers. Um, if customers gave uh, product feedback or complaints or anything like that, to be able to actually go and then share the exact uh, feedback back to the, uh, uh, you know, the product manager or engineer uh, that's responsible for that. But as a platform, right, and the use cases, we really look at any opportunity to be where there are meetings that are happening over video or web conferencing. Um, so if you are having meetings in your team, uh, if you're having meetings uh, with your customers, Fireflies is perfectly, you know, situated to come in in those situations. The other thing that we look at is how Fireflies has been adopted, right, over time. So you bring it to your organization, you start using it in your meetings, your teammates start noticing it, they want to know what this is, they get the meeting recap, then they sign up, then they start using it. And we love that sort of adoption. Um, and, you know, when we thought the product was really going to be used by salespeople, but today it's used by recruiters, right? It's used by product managers. It's used by engineers. It's used by executives. It's even used in boardroom settings, right? And so a lot of that um, has to do with the diversity of the teams that end up adopting the product. And if you think about it, like a lot of people within organizations have uh, meetings with cross-functional teams, right? A product person is going to have a meeting with a salesperson. A marketer is going to have a meeting uh, with an engineer. Um, that's inevitable. But that's also great because it shows that with Fireflies, the flow of knowledge can, you know, it can easily move through the organization. Um, like a lot of the challenges that companies have as they get bigger is they end up forming silos between departments. Um, with Fireflies, there's this neat opportunity to break down those silos and share that information. Um, I hear customers all the time saying like, Hey, you know, I was on this really great sales call. Um, you know, we actually had a situation where a, a customer came in who was a sales user and said, Hey, you know, I talked to this uh, prospect of mine. They had this great insights. They really wanted this feature. Um, you know, they were giving me all this feedback, but engineering isn't buying it. Right. And before I used to struggle to convince my engineering and product team on, you know, the roadmap, but now, right, I can literally send them the voice of the customer, right? I can go into Fireflies and create a soundbite of that particular 30 second um, snippet of the call. I can share it and I can share a link with the engineering team and no longer, it's no longer a debate, right? It's coming directly from the source. And so people love using Fireflies, right? Not just for the recording and transcription capability, but for the ability to collaborate and share information. Um, 
I always say like, you know, the transcription is really what people come for. Um, you know, they love to be able to transcribe all their meetings and record everything, but they really stay for the collaboration aspect of our product. For sure. I can totally understand that. So, you know, when a lot of people build products and I talk to a lot of founders that, that have products, but it takes a certain type of product and market opportunity to build like a venture scale company and to actually get venture capitalists to pump millions into a company. And I know that, that you like Fireflies just raised an awesome, uh, an awesome seed round as a founder. I'm kind of curious to hear what was that experience like for you to raise uh, to raise a seed round? And what were some of the biggest learnings from that for you? Yeah, I think uh, we have a great set of investors that have come on board. And, you know, I'm happy to have, you know, finished up the fundraising so that we can focus on building product and scaling, um, you know, do the, the real heavy lifting work that needs to be done now. Um, but going through the fundraising experience as a first time founder, first time fundraising, first time talking to institutionals, really, um, it was, uh, you know, you start understanding uh, a lot more about, um, you know, where do you want the platform to be two years from now, three years from now, and what does it take to get there? So what are the limitations? What are the things that, you know, how can capital strategically help you? Um, for the longest time, for two years, we bootstrapped the company, right? So we had the bootstrap DNA where we were lean and we were working in you know, very, very like with limited resources. Um, but I think that one thing we realized was, you know, there was a right time and place for um, capital if it can be used, like I mentioned, in a strategic manner. Um, and also to find investors that believe, right, in the opportunity that you're pursuing and the way you want to do it, right? There's a lot of investors that will invest in certain thesis, uh, some certain, um, you know, thesis statements, right? One is like, I will only invest in enterprise companies that are tackling, you know, this sort of market, or I will only invest in domain specific companies, right, where you're building, you're building a product for healthcare, right? For example, Fireflies would be great in healthcare, but that's not our target focus right now. Um, but it's, it's, I think one of those things where if you can find investors that back your vision of building a great bottoms up company, um, that is product driven and product led. And I think a lot of times when people go out to fundraise, they try to shape the, you know, their story to whatever the VC needs, but instead being able to show conviction, right? Not just through data, but through, you know, what you set out to do. Um, that all comes down to also focus. Uh, there is so much that Fireflies can do in so many different verticals, so many, um, you know, different, there's so many different opportunities Right. But being able to say, like, look, I want to build the best meeting assistant possible. I want to first focus on making that experience on video conferencing really seamless. Right. That might be 70 percent of the market. It might not be 100 percent of the market. Maybe people have meetings in person. People have meetings over other systems. But we will get there over time. The, the core goal right now is to make sure the workflow that we're designing it for works really well. And if it ends up being that there are a lot of small teams that are early adopters of it, that's totally fine for us, right? Salesforce started off with really small teams. You know, Slack started off with small teams. Zoom started off with small teams. And they've grown over time to encompass large organizations. So for us, I think, um, you know, that was a good learning. And also to, um, you know, from, from a whole fund, fundraising uh, perspective, having done it the first time, 
I really, really don't believe like raising funding means success. What means what success is really is how you take that capital, you deploy it effectively, um, and you're able to move fast, right? And so, you know, I, I think like celebrating funding rounds is a is a great thing to do, um, but it's it's a moment in time. Um, it's something that we didn't think too much about after we raised, you know, the funding, we realized, okay, we have our work cut out for ourselves. There's a lot to do. Um, we need to do that, but it's a moment to say, okay, great. We've given ourselves the resources and the backing to go pursue our mission for the next couple of years. And how are we going to get there? Oh man, I love that. Any first time founder or any type of founder, I, I, I think it needs to hear that, including myself. Uh, something I'm, interested to hear about keeping on the same vein for another second. So it's it's something that I've been thinking a lot about in that oftentimes when people founders, let's say someone's an impressive founder, but they live, you know, in, in Phoenix or Nebraska or, or somewhere that's not in one of the hubs. Um, but they actually are building a, a impressive company. What's a, a VC backable company? What tips would you have uh, for them to kind of get into the inner circles of, of top, tier capital in San Francisco and New York, um, other than getting into YC, which is like kind of a common path for those that can get in. But like, how does someone get who has a company break in and get get that money from, from top investors? Yeah, that is definitely a tricky question. Uh, but it's a good question to ask. One is, I absolutely believe that a great company can be built anywhere. It doesn't have to be, you know, just in Silicon Valley or, you know, the United States for that matter. There are a lot of companies that are coming out of India, out of Israel, um, you know, out of uh, Europe, right? Europe is booming right now with uh, some, some of the SaaS startups that are coming out of there. Um, one thing that I've kind of realized over time is that access to capital, definitely you're going to have your most opportunities here in Silicon Valley. Um, so some things that I've been told or been suggested was, you know, even if your team is located anywhere else, you need to spend some time in the Valley um, to be able to go find investors or, um, you know, at least have your management team here. Um, that is one approach that has worked for a lot of companies. There's a lot of European companies that open up an office in San Francisco. Um, but on the contrary, too, I also believe that, you know, the VC model is changing, right? The where they are investing in uh, companies, uh, not just based on location. Before there was this bias, right? If your entire team was not based out in California, uh, we're not going to back you. The funny thing is, right, like that's completely changing. Now we have this new concept of totally distributed remote work, right? And we're big believers in that. Like there are some great companies that have adopted it, like GitLab, where they're 100% globally distributed. They have folks in many, many different locations. Zapier is another company that has adopted that, where, you know, they have people in many locations. Um, and it's also interesting because a lot of these globally distributed teams or remote teams are a byproduct of how expensive it is to set up shop in California or New York or any of these other like um, hubs and access to talent, right? You, not everyone is going to be able to fight with the top five tech giants to, uh, for talent. And there's a lot of great talent everywhere in the world. Um, so I'm a big believer in remote teams. Um, we ourselves are, you know, in nine different locations now, eight or nine different locations uh, across four to five different countries. Um, and, you know, 
apart from the time zone aspect, there's a lot of things that just work really well for remote teams. And we've, we noticed this tied more with like, there are also people building tools for remote teams. Like I can't imagine a remote team working without Slack. Um, and it's really interesting too, when we see a lot of our customers and I go talk to some of our early customers, um, you know, that are signing up, a lot of them are remote teams as well. Right. And our goal wasn't to build this product just like for remote teams, but it just ends up happening that you have people in many locations and the only way they can communicate is through like a zoom video conferencing line. And, uh, not everyone's going to be able to join that meeting because of time zone differences. So how do they share the recap with the folks that didn't join the meeting? Right. So, um, you know, I think that went off on a little bit of a tangent, but about, I a hundred percent believe companies can, you know, be started anywhere in the world. Um, and I think remote teams is allowing people to find better talent pools, um, and run a lean shop. Um, and then, Three is like, if there are people that are dead set on raising from like really uh, well-known investors, um, then I would definitely say like the Valley is the place. Like some people even say that about New York or, um, you know, some other places. Right. Um, But yeah, that's one of those things where I think that the resources and opportunities for capital, at least um, it's undoubtedly here in Silicon Valley. That's an awesome answer, and I appreciate you going off because I'm just soaking it all up. Uh, as someone who lives in in Phoenix but got into Jason Calacanis' accelerator earlier this year, I kind of see both sides of the coin, what it's like to be like an outsider and like kind of an insider. So it's kind of an interesting interesting perspective to hear hear yours. So a, a couple more a couple more questions for you. So you are kind of building this this so far it seems to be a rocket ship and and based on what i know about the product it, it's definitely needed i'd love to hear um the last question uh, about kind of the fundraise deploying capital and then we'll wrap it up with, with the final question but how do you think about uh deploying the capital that you've raised as a ceo um like you you've you've all these resources do you have a framework for deciding how you want to spend it or is the goal just not to spend it and use it only when you need it yeah your latter part is the right answer is to only spend as it's needed um i think of what i do more in the sense of bottlenecks um so i look at it more in terms of what are areas that we can 10x right that would help us get to the next level Right. So if it's engineering, you can kind of think about how complex the problem is. Uh, we work with essentially lots of um, voice over IP systems, like the infrastructure is extremely complicated um, and it needs to be scalable to hundreds of thousands of calls all the time. Right. And so for us, like one of the core areas we invest in is like, how do we make our infrastructure better? How do we end up scaling the platform better? Um, one of our early investors um, was the first uh, employee at Dropbox. Um, and he basically said, right, their mission at Dropbox was like to never lose a file, right? And they only had a few people when they started and they had to build this massive storage system um, and they had to scale it to millions of users. So the type of energy and time that's spent into building a good product Um, is probably where we're going to be spending a lot of our capital and then focusing on making sure that we can service our existing customers. Um, The nice thing about Fireflies is that if we do that part really well, um, people eventually 
start sharing it with others, um, they evangelize the product, right? They become fans of it. And, uh, you know, there's that natural virality part that we're excited to be tapping into because meetings means you're not going to have a meeting with yourself. You're always having meetings with other people. And those people are essentially seeing what the platform can do through our users, right? Our users are essentially giving them a demo of Fireflies. Um, and so for us, when it comes to spending capital, we look at it from the lens of product-driven growth um, because both Sam and I are engineering-based uh, founders. Um, there are other companies that are very sales-driven growth, which works perfectly fine, right? Like I think companies um, that have a, a, you know, a sales team that say we're going to hire X number of people and we're going to go after um, certain companies and we're going to sell, sell, sell. That totally works too. That's, that was the whole mid-market play that some of these companies have executed really well. Um, what we felt was that when there are certain products out there where if you focus on product-driven growth, that yields better results, right? Um, and faster results too. So uh, you have a more enterprise sales type company like Workday, which is fantastic. Um, and then you have more of a bottoms up freemium sort of company like Slack, right? Again, both are hundred million plus uh, ARR companies, but um, both went about it in different ways. Uh, I think that a lot of startups when they are doing this are not quite like sure which way they want to go. So they try to force a model on a company, right? Um, that might not necessarily be the best fit, right? If you have a very complicated product um, and you're saying, I'm going to build a great self-serve experience, no salespeople, that's not necessarily going to work, right? Because if it is like, uh, it's really, if it's run really expensive and really hard to deploy, but it's extremely valuable once it's deployed, then you're going to need people to help, you know, uh, uh, help set that product up. So it really looks we really look at how does our product get adopted today um, and what are the bottlenecks um, to get to that next stage. Yeah, you're, you're very thoughtful about obviously how you're building the company, which is uh, good, good to learn from, which is kind of the whole point of this podcast is so people can learn from people doing it, founders in, in the middle of, of it all. And that kind of leads me to my last question, which is you... You've been working on this for for a while because you were bootstrapping. You just raised some money, and it seems to me like that like the, the most of the journey is is ahead of you. Um, but you've already gone farther than most people will ever go. So I would love to hear uh, if you had any advice for someone who had an idea in their head, or they had a, they saw a problem in the world that they wanted to solve, uh, but don't necessarily know the first steps how to do it other than all the other great advice that you've given on the podcast indirectly, I'm curious, what's one last tip you would give to someone wanting to get started, but doesn't necessarily know the best step first. For I would step. say uh, the number one thing to have is a bias towards action. Um, a lot of people believe that in order for me to do X, I need Y, right? In order for me to build a prototype, I need to go find uh, a co-founder. I need to go uh, raise capital. Uh, and there are other people out there that are going to just start building, right? And so I would say, like, find a problem that you are deeply passionate about and don't expect, like, any other resources in the early days. Because to be honest, in the early days, we had, you know, zero resources, zero support. Um, and then over time, we gradually got support because people were passionate uh, about how we were going about it, right? When you start doing things, when you start hustling, when you start grinding, when you start doing the smallest things with whatever resources you have, 
that motivates other people to come help you. Right. Um, and I think that is like the number one thing. Um, because I was in a position as a founder where we had, you know, like we were essentially like zero capital, like it's just uh, sweat equity, right? Like it's just us putting time in trying to build something. And it's amazing what happens when you are proactive and when you're able to do things. Um, it's almost inspiring to other people saying like, this guy's working really hard, you know, I should give him a hand. And all of our early success, early, uh, uh, you know, progress came from people that we got introduced to because they were excited about, wow, you guys are like these two small like founders, um, but you're just going about it, right? You're not like waiting for some person to come write you a big check to get started. Um, I think resourcefulness and bias towards action is super, super important. And we're at Fireflies are hiring for engineering and for sales and marketing and customer success. And we look for that too, as well, like in terms of the candidates we look for, can they be resourceful? Do they have a bias towards action, right? Are they the type of people that if you were to hire within a week, they're jumping into the weeds and solving problems for people, or are they going to be the type of people six weeks in still saying, Hey, I'm onboarding. I'm like looking at this. Um, you know, I'll be ready in a few more weeks to get going. Right. So it's, I think that is the biggest, um, difference. Um, you know, hopefully that's helpful. That is very helpful. And this whole conversation has been helpful. Krish, thank you so much for coming on to the Forward Thinking Founders podcast. Super insightful look into fundraising, into fireflies, and into what's, what's next for you. So thank you so much for coming on. Fantastic. And again, thank you so much for having me on the show, Matt.